Tim Haig Reads Books, presented by Tim Haig. Russell Hoban defies comparison with other writers. There's nobody else writing books like his. If his readership is select, he is nonetheless one of those writers whose new book we read as a matter of course. You never know what you're going to get, except that it will delight and tease and intrigue and take you in unexpected directions. Tim visited Russell Hoban in his London home to talk about his typically elusive and compelling new novel, Angelica Lost and Found, which embraces myth and poetry in an idiosyncratic version of present-day San Francisco, rooted in the most concrete details. This is Tim Haig Reads Books, and today I'm talking to Russell Hoban, the author of a remarkable series of books. Or is it a series of remarkable books? I'm not quite sure, but they are completely of their own kind, and uh, Russell Hoban is completely of his own kind. Um, Russell, the new book is called Angelica Lost and Found, and it's, well, it's really hard to say what it is. It's not a murder mystery. It's not a love story. It's a kind of love story. But it's it's mystical and it's mysterious and it's rooted so much in the real world as well. What what do you what kind of book do you think it is? Well, I think it's a very strange book and I was surprised because uh back in 1997 I read Barbara Reynolds' wonderful uh verse translation of Orlando Furioso, and that got me interested in uh, Ruggiero and Angelica. And on the, on the uh, cover of the Italian edition, there was a small reproduction of the painting by Girolamo de Carpi of the painting which now lives in the El Paso Museum of Art showing uh, Ruggiero rescuing Angelica strange painting because uh, Angelica is the least element in it. She's all squeezed into one corner. You can barely see her. And uh, the main thing is uh, Ruggiero riding the hippogriff uh, coming to attack Orca, the sea monster. Who is menacing uh, Angelica. Who is menacing uh, naked Angelica chained to her rock. Yeah, and she's always naked, isn't she? That's that's there part are lots, of her charm. Lots of paintings of this. Yes. Let's go back a little bit to Orlando Furioso because um, there will be some listeners who are not familiar with this, and I was one of them until I had to go and look it up, <laughs> having having uh, come across it in the book. So it's uh, is it fifteenth century epic poetry Italian yes, by Ariosto, Lodovico Ariosto, and in its time it was it was like a huge hit, wasn't it? it was uh, I think it was a bestseller in a, its a bestseller. time. Bestseller, yeah. Um, so it, it's 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 got monsters and it's got uh, chivalry and it's got it's got adventure and all of these things. But the particular bit that got you going was was this passage um, with Angelica being menaced by the sea monster. I wanted to know: was it the poem or was it the picture that that first drove you to the typewriter? Well, my paperback copy of the translation. Uh, has posted stuck all over it and notes, so uh, I was riveted by the by the story. And uh, back in ninety seven, I thought I would do something with the hippogriff, whom I call Volatore. Volatore, which which must mean something like he who flies, is it? Yeah, the, the flyer. Yeah, yeah. You you uh, called him that? Yes, I did. Uh, I thought I might do something with him, and I had a go at it. And uh, as often happens with me. 
it didn't go all the way. It fizzled out. I, I hit the wall and I couldn't do any more with it. But then in, uh, I guess it was two years ago, in 2008, uh, I looked at it again and I could see places to go. So I started writing. And the thing about it is that I wrote as ideas came to me and it seemed nothing out of the way. Uh, it's my job to write down what comes to me. So I went on doing it and doing it. Oh, and well, one you, thing led you, to you, You've jumped straight to my question 10, which yeah. is, how, how did you write it? Did you have a master plan? Did you uh, plot it all out? I, or are you one of those brilliant improvisers who, who just goes for it and, and sees where it takes him? I fly by the seat of my pants, and I'm not always brilliant. Uh, sometimes I get there, sometimes I don't. This time, as I say, uh, one thing led to another, and uh, I kept writing down what came to me. And as I said before, it didn't seem strange to me. That's my job. That's what I do. And uh, I wrote and I wrote, and eventually the book was finished. And only when I had the finished manuscript in my hands, no, even then it didn't seem strange, but then uh, when I had the finished book in my hands, I thought, how did this happen? You know, what's it all about? <laughs> it was as mysterious to you as it is to us. It is, absolutely. Well, then, in that, that case, we'd, we'd better give a little bit of an idea of what happens. We start off with Volatori, the Hippogriff, who is, even even at the beginning of the, of the book, he's a fictional yes. character. And he he is, I think, jealous of Ruggiero. He, he wants to rescue Angelica, and um, it becomes perfectly clear that the the reason his reasons for wanting to rescue her are are not en entirely um, selfless um he needs to find a way of turning himself into into a part of reality so that he can go and find angelica now which he does so that we we move from a, a this this the, the painting really to well all sorts of places but principally san francisco where he goes looking for the angelica of now yes how he sets about that... Well, actually, there's a passage in the book. If you wouldn't mind, uh, would you be happy to read for me a passage which is uh, crucial to that process of him turning himself from a fictional character into a, uh, in into a, a part of reality? I may read a little haltingly because my eyes are failing, but uh, I'll do my best. On the third day, when night came, I dreamed of blackness. Only that. I dreamed of blackness every night after that, and on the eighth night, the blackness swooped and became the great raven. The great raven looked at me and blinked, showing me a clear bluish-white disk like a little round mirror in which I saw only blankness. Where do you want to go? he said, and his voice rebounded in massed echoes from the black escarpment. To the beginning of the dream that is called reality, I whispered. Why? said the raven. I want to go beyond time and space to rescue Angelica always. There are heroes for that. Uh, to me speak only the only truth. I want her for myself. I was looking into the raven's 
left eye when I said that. Then the mirror flashed, and I was in the eye, looking out around me. The vast blackness of the bird opened and lifted, and the earth fell away below me. All the flimsy contrivances of humankind and the clamor of its voices blurring into dimness and distance as we rose above the gray sky and into the brilliant clarity of the blue dome in which the present curved endlessly upon itself to compass past and future. Now, that's fairly heightened uh, sort of uh, mythological language. That's what I do. Are you, well, yes, of course you do, but you're also... In fact, later on, when, when we're in San Francisco, um, your characters start saying things like, can we talk modern? And they use idioms and, 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 uh, and, and phrases and, and, and slang that are, that are very modern because what you, what you do then is you bring it from the mythological realm into, into a, a much more... Um, conventional. Well, conventional is the wrong word, isn't it? Because it, it's sort of Hobanland. It's not. It's not. It's not the world as, as necessarily as, as I experience it. But it's a, a recognisable one. Well, my books are always somewhat off the beaten path, path and uh, pretty strange. So I make sure that they are grounded in a solid reality, uh, with as much detail as it takes to make it solid. Um, you do that because you're you're all, you're planning to take us into into realms that are going to be a bit uh, a, a bit confusing otherwise. That's right. So, as well as being about storytelling, which I, I think this book is, it's also about love and lust, isn't it? Uh, Angelica is beautiful, and um, the, the the motivation of Volatore uh, in finding her is at least as much sexual as as romantic. Definitely, yes. And and in fact. The, the that that's that's a big part of 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 the outlook of this book because there's quite a lot of sex. It's quite racy, Russ. Mm -hmm. So it seems. Yes, <laughs> I, I don't say I'm going to write racy, but uh, as the story goes on, uh, a lot of sex comes into it, and some of it's quite transgressive sex. There's uh, there, there's some very interesting moments when. Uh, when when Angelica first meets uh, Volatore, the hippogriff, she's in, she's quite keen on on um, getting uh, sexual with him as a hippogriff rather than as a as a man because he can be he yeah, can the bestiality rears its ugly head. A bestiality, there there are elements of rape. There's a he, he he's able to enter into other men and 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 become them or use their bodies for his purposes, but. Sometimes that that doesn't work out. There's mm -hmm. a passage in which one of one of the men evacuates the <laughs> hippogriff from his bowels, and then he takes his revenge by sodomizing it. Yes, um, there's an enormous amount of symbolism <laughs> in all of this. Is there? Well, I, I, it seems to me there is. It seems to me that in, in your in your outlook there is. I, if I think back to what I, I think of the uh, the Ur Hoban book, which which for me is is the Lion of Jachim uh, Boaz and Boaz Jachim, I always think of it as the Lion book because I know I'm going to make a mess of the title. I, I keep getting them in the wrong order though. But that that's that seems to me an enormously symbolic book. Uh, I think it was your first uh, adult novel. And um, yes, it was. And the uh, the the lion of the title is is extremely vivid. I mean, it's it's the, it's the thing I, I mostly take away after reading it years ago is is the image of this lion. 
the lion had its start in a in an art book that I bought in Westport, Connecticut, a book on Mesopotamian art. And there was a picture of the lion hunt relief from uh, Ashurbanipal's uh, North Temple in Nineveh. Now, the the king in his chariot is hunting and killing lions, and the king and his uh, colleagues, his assistants and so forth, they're all conventionalized figures. They have no individuality. They have curled beards and all the... uh, attributes, but they they don't look like anybody special. But each lion is an individual portrait, an individual tragic portrait. And the main lion, the number one lion, who is, as the spears go into him, he is grasping the wheel of the king's chariot and biting it in his dying rage. And when I came to London, the first thing I did was get to the British Museum, and look at that lion hunt relief, and uh, yeah, which is remarkable. I've seen it. Yes, blew me away. Yeah, yeah, and and extremely memorable. Let's get back to uh, Angelica Lost and Found. Yes, um, is it a coincidence that we've used her name again? You said that you, you'd started writing this book some time ago, and there was a, a an, an earlier book called Angelica's Grotto, which um, uses her name. It doesn't have any sp- special significance for you. No, it was uh, just happened to be the name that uh, the uh, mistress of this website used in her pornographic site. That's right, and that was that was pretty racy as well. That one, I thought. I seem to write racy books. I don't understand it. Well, you say, we say they're racy. The events are racy, but the language is always extremely decorous. There's never anything that you couldn't show to your mother in in, uh, <laughs> in a Russell Hoban novel, <laughs> or, unless she's paying attention and sees what's going on. <laughs> yes, they never speak coarsely. I, I, I have to say, I enjoyed that aspect of it i also enjoyed the the rolling narrative because we we meet a whole succession of uh, of men who are one way or another volatory and she knows who they are because they smell um what did you say mostly like a horse i think <laughs> which um and and so she knows when she's come across somebody who's who uh, you know uh, volatory has taken the form of this man because it smells mostly like a horse you have a succession of volatores um in one of his incarnations, Volatore asks another another character, Doris, if she could love him as a hippogriff. And we should probably say a hippogriff is a mythical creature with um, it's it's part part griffin and part horse, obviously. Yes, uh, uh, I wouldn't call him mythical because he doesn't appear in any myths. But uh, I hadn't thought of that. You're absolutely right, uh, Doris. Um, when he when he asks her if. Uh, she could love him as a hippogriff, uh, she turns him down, which seems reasonable to me. Yes. But Angelica wishes for it. Well, uh, Angelica... Angelica is somewhat off the beaten track herself. Uh, she's, uh, she's beautiful, and she's intelligent, and she's imaginative, and she's vulnerable, and at the same time, she has quite a, a sturdy... Self, she's not a defenseless woman, and there's something about the hippogriff. It it takes her a while to get used to looking at him with this beaked face mm. and these strange eyes, but uh, it turns her on. What can I say? 
and different strokes for different folks, which is probably good news for <laughs> most of us. So there is another painting in the book, um, which is a painting of the the, the tiny tiny giants uh, dancing. Tiny, tiny dancing giants in the dim red caverns of sleep. What's that for? What's that about? Because that, that, that's a thread that goes through the whole book. And the, the painting is, is an actual painting within the narrative, which keeps cropping up and has a, a life. It's a character in, yes. in the book itself. Uh, I'd, that uh, idea came to me the first time in a short story that I wrote called The Raven. And... How I got to the tiny, tiny dancing giants and the dim red caverns of sleep, I don't know. But I'm uh, I'm very oxymoronic, so uh, I like the fact of a tiny giant uh, and dancing in the dim red caverns of sleep. I I arrived at that through trying to think of how being came into being, and that's. That's what I came up with. So the painting, as it were, came to hand, and you you fed it into the narrative and allowed right. it to take it, it, its own course within that. Let me ask you if you have, do you have a favourite uh, book of yours? Is there one that you say, this is the one that I want to be remembered for? Or... Oh. I haven't ever singled one out that way. Uh I think it might be one that won't be published until 2012, if I live that well, it'll be published even if I don't live that long. But it's called Soon Child, and it is. Uh, it will be classed as a young adult novel, and uh, it involves the adventures of a character called Sixteen Faced John uh, in his quest for the world songs that his unborn child requires in order to come out into the world. Again, and, a narrative about becoming and about about yeah. entering into reality. So, well, <laughs> that was going to be another question. If it's not indelicate to, to say it, you're, you're 85 now. Right. And still at it, still um, making books. With yeah, no well, as I may have said before i hit the ground doddering <laughs> and this and this is just what you do it's just what i do sure i i i'll do it until i drop well let's hope that you don't let's hope that we get to uh, talk again when when the, that book is published and i'll come back and talk to you <laughs> yeah i hope so russell hoban thank you very much indeed thank you let me say that uh, angelica lost and found is published by bloomsbury it's £12.99 and it's available right now. That was Tim Haig Reads Books, presented by Tim Haig. Tim Haig Reads Books is a Green Shoot production. More details can be found at www.green-shoot.com or Tim can be contacted on tim at green-shoot.com.